beep 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 <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's the news sound i would like to claim that i am your biggest fan I've listened to every single episode from the beginning. That's wild. And engaged with every single one of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And been on several. And yeah, now several. I am here. Yeah. I feel should, so lucky. People who, who might not know your voice, give us a quick intro. Are we just into it? Okay. I think cool. we're yeah. I think we just got into it right away. Yeah, I think we just okay, we started with the BD Deets. That's how it's it's an emergency <laughs> pod. Uh Format out the window. We got a uh-huh. guest who is simultaneously self-proclaiming to be the biggest fan. We're gonna take that one to the streets. We'll let uh-huh. we'll let the the world fight over that one. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, <laughs> my name is Gabriel Valdivia. Uh huh. I am a designer and a brand new dad. Um, Notice what, what you said first. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, designer is longer tenure, but that is really my entire personality right now. Yeah. And yeah, big fan of the show and long time listener, first time. Fam of the pod, a special nomenclature. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. But it was a typo, but. We don't make typos. We've, In fact, <laughs> actually, I would be so bold as to say we've never made a mistake on this podcast. As your biggest True. fan, I can attest. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've exactly. never said anything wrong, had a bad opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've never texted me every morning after an episode <laughs> saying all the reasons that I'm wrong about my opinions. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm I'm glad that you don't text me telling me all the reasons I'm wrong. I'm glad it's just a, a an honor bestowed upon Brian. I don't no, think I could take it. That that didn't. That's not super true. I think um, Gabe, you should speak for yourself. But I think it's part of the reason why why you're on is I think you want to inject a little bit more spice into the show. Like Marshall and I have. Uh, we're on the same page that we agree about most things. Yeah. Notoriously yeah. Which, aligned. Yeah. Which doesn't always make for the most interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah no, I, I would frame it as critical thinking or a critical conversation. Okay. Um, and some people refer to that as being a contrarian, which I hate because uh-huh. when you refer to it as a contrarian, there's nothing you can say in return. Like uh-uh. you can't. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I like a good old fashioned debate. So I'm excited to debate today. Cool. Let's right. debate. The topic of today is arc boosts. Are they good? Are they useful? Uh, what do we think about the the sort of mixed reaction on the tweets? And what are some of the side effects? So that that, that was the the high level outline of maybe some of the things we'll talk about, but. Arc boosts. Do you want to take a stab at describing these? Uh, I'm going to call on you, Marshall. What are arc boosts? Oh my gosh. What is arc? Arc is a Chromium based browser that does things differently than your average browser, not your dad's browser. browser. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, kind of like actually, like that's kind of the, the thing is like there's a bunch of features that you don't normally see. First and foremost, that will like stand out is you have vertical tabs down the left side instead of horizontal tabs across the top. There's all these interesting ideas that go along with it, but that, that's Arc Browser. We'll, we'll link in the show notes. They have a feature that is buck wild and thinks about the web differently than other browsers tend to, and that is called Boosts. Um, it's kind of a multi-aspect feature, but it involves giving control back to the user to change the way the web looks and take control back from the people who are building those websites. That make it a how, good how, start? How, does, how does it give users the ability to do those things? Okay, so there's a few different things you can change. You can choose like a key color that will tint everything on the site. You can change the base font used across the entire site. Uh, you can zap individual or groups of things. Zapping is mean basically like hide an entire div. And then there's also like code. You can add JavaScript or CSS. And you can save all of this, like a single configuration of all of these changes as a boost and apply that with a toggle to the site. And you can share that boost with others. So the changes, the configuration you have made for yourself, you can now share to others, meaning that your version of a site can now be like widespread. And, you know, what does that mean for releasing new features and for the creators of the site? Uh, so here, here's the conversation. Yeah. Okay. So Boosts was announced and I don't know, at least I don't know about you guys, but my corner of design Twitter was losing its mind. Like for a good day there, 
every tweet was a screenshot of somebody boosting some website, whether it was making the linear homepage papyrus or making Figma have an orange background or so on and so forth. People sharing boosts saying, you know, here's how I made LinkedIn better. Here's how I fixed Google. Here's how I fixed Twitter and on and on. And then there was a little bit of a mix coming from the opposite side. Like, uh, well, actually, I didn't see that many specifically. It was more of the back channels, but one specifically was from a web developer that was like, basically, fuck this. Like, I don't want to have to support people who are going to be complaining about features on my website that are broken because they installed some boost, right? Like assuming a boost mm-hmm. gets critical distribution in the same way that browser plugins do. And everyone who runs a website knows the pain of dealing with browser extension bugs. So that was the response. Uh, Gabe, how do you feel about boosts? Um, well, I should first give like a ton of disclaimers okay, let's before sharing any opinions. Caveat, caveat, uh, caveat. Yeah, like I think the browser company, which is the company responsible for Arc, which is the product responsible for boosts, the browser company I think is one of the most interesting and exciting companies around today. I'm a huge fan of the team, everything they do. They got a good TikTok. Great TikTok, great YouTube yeah. channel. I have worked with Josh, the CEO, before and a bunch of the the people uh, on the browser company. They used to be on a team called Branch, and that company got acquired by Facebook and joined Facebook the same day that I joined. So I have a lot of connections to that company. Josh is an investor on Patreon, the company that I work for right now. So I have a ton of respect for them. So everything I say should be couched within that. And the reason I, I'm critical is because I care. Okay. Uh, that said, uh, there's positives and, and negatives, but generally I feel th- that this is a bit of a miss. It's a missed opportunity for me and, and not something that I would be using. And the examples that I see and the, the approach that they have taken to the marketing of this feature really kind of rubbed me the wrong way, which I think might be intentional, but that's kind of how I feel. We can get into the details. For yeah, that. yeah. So there are two, two things there, right? It's like boost themselves, the feature and how it works, something there didn't align with you. And then the marketing side, maybe let's start with the marketing side and work our way into product. Um, so what rubbed you wrong about the announcement or the the way it was broadcast? Well, I think that the browser company in general is pretty irreverent. I think they take pride in that and kind of like poking at the internet as an institution and kind of questioning what we know of it. So a lot of it is kind of like promoting fun. I think they, they refer to to that as like the juice, like pulling the juice from products and giving them that extra pizzazz. So I think they're trying to have fun with it. And in doing so, it to me, it feels pretty like trolly. They're like trolling the internet. And it feels a little juvenile. Like, you know, you have a bunch of fonts and amongst them you have like windings as one of the fonts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's it's funny. You giggle, and it's, uh-huh. I think it's like a it's an the last hook. one, but it's it's the vibe, right? Like that's the kind of aesthetic they're going for. Of like, here we do not take ourselves seriously. We'll tuck it at the end because like we're, yeah. we don't expect you to actually use this thing. But like, fuck the rules, right? Wingdings, yeah. why not? Yeah, and and there's like papyrus and Comic Sans or the Comic yeah. Sans equivalent chalkboard, or whatever. Yeah, and there's a ton of clever things in this product, but the end result. I think it's a bunch of websites that are worse design than how they started and being less usable and less accessible, et cetera, which I think that, again, that's part of the marketing of like promoting, like check out like how I vandalized this website that used to be so precious and untouchable. And I just kind of smeared it all with, with my own. Um, yeah. It is a bit of a aesthetic. graffiti. Kind I, of a thing. I, I yeah. love that vandalization word. Yeah. I hadn't thought of yeah. that. Yeah. And, and so, so I think that, to me, is in conflict with the idea of Boost, which is a pretty profound idea. And because the marketing and the, the way people are learning about this feature is so shallow and, and superficial, I think it it takes away from that profound idea of like making the internet participatory. Like you can truly own the internet and make it personalized to you and take it with you and, and become a creator. All that are powerful ideas, but I think they're missed with the actual promotion and some of the implementation kind of execution details of of the feature. Have you guys seen any good boosts? Like boosts people have created that made something better than it was before the boost? Uh, I've made my own that I think are are good, but 
I haven't downloaded. I haven't like you know, installed anybody else's boost yet. No. What would you make? Were those mostly just hiding elements that you didn't like? Yeah, it was YouTube. Yeah, it was like the thing I work on. Yeah, let me let me hide all this stuff I don't use. Like clean it up. The uh-huh. stuff I would never be able to do in my day job. It was like a actually like a really cathartic thing of like <laughs> okay, YouTube uh-huh. will never look this way for everyone for a ton of reasons, but I can make it look this way for me, and I don't have to worry about it because like. The only one who's going to get hurt by anything, any of the compounding effects of the changes I've made will be me. I don't know. It's just zapping a bunch of different elements on, on the screen to make everything symmetrical. So that's interesting to me because I had the same initial reaction when I, I got boost. I went and just went to a few websites and hid elements. Zap, 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 And zap. there's some logical <laughs> things that you'd want to zap. I, I'm an ad blocker. You can maybe leave the ethics of that aside, but I block ads. So I don't have that many ads to hide anymore, but I imagine that's a common use case of people going around and zapping sidebar units and stuff. But yeah, like basically zapping sidebars was kind of the name of the game. Like most of sidebars are like superfluous things or links to parts of a product you don't use. So that was fine. Uh, I don't know. Like, is that good? Is that good for the web if that is like baked into the browser? Like clearly anybody could have done this, right? Like this has always been possible. You can build little Mm -hmm. applets or whatever bookmarklets that like hide stuff and change the styles of websites. And there's Mm -hmm. browser extensions for minimal Twitter and on and on. And those extensions get broad distribution. Is having something baked into the browser going to be harmful for the web in the sense that we're giving permission to people to... It's not that they're changing functionality. Like this is my pushback is that they're not changing the way anything works. They're just giving people control to say like, don't show me things I don't like or don't show me things I don't want to use, which maybe is fine. I don't know. But that's the thing though. Like that's been around for a long time, right? Through Chrome extensions and mm-hmm. all but, that. You've been able to do that for a while. But nobody does that. that. Nobody does that because it's you got to jump through a couple hoops to, to uh, understand how it all well, works. Boosts are definitely more approachable. Depends audience it is, right? Like, like Twitch, Franker Face Z, and there's like Better Twitch, I think it's what it's called. But there's like some extensions on that that like basically everybody who is a is a viewer on Twitch uses because like it's a translation layer that gives you a bunch of extra emotes and things that you don't have otherwise, and that's like a huge community aspect. Yeah, so, like, so I, I could see community stuff, but it's but a, like it's super niche. Like it's just Twitch people. You know? Exactly, that spreads through the community. I think there's a difference between like something being possible versus something being literally a button in the URL bar of every single website. Like the placement of that button matters because it will say to people, this is what you should be interacting with when you visit a website. Yeah, so I think to me that the real innovation here is that like the entry point and the actual UI to modify the page. Um, But the functionality seems to be the same as before. Like I've used the minimal Twitter one forever I've used a um, one of Google Docs to remove the the page dividers, and there was a marketplace for that, right? Like you can browse an app store for all that, and all that existed. But the unique thing is what they're calling the remote, right? The boost remote, and the specific things that they encourage you to edit, and how they encourage to, you to edit them, right? Like you don't have a drop down for all the fonts; you have like twenty fonts to pick from. The size you can't pick a particular size; you can like taps through like predetermined scales um, to change your site. So to me, those are the interesting decisions where, you know, you've constrained how you can interact with the modifications of the site. And the color picker is like bananas. Like it's such a Mm -hmm. clever implementation of that. Instead of giving you like a color palette, you have this tinting thing. That's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, I think, is like their their take on it. How does the... um... What does the second dot do? Yeah, that's my that's guys, my other gripe. Like, I don't I, understand that at all. <laughs> I'm gonna be straight up with y'all. I I I don't understand how this color picker works. Me either. Okay, I'm glad <laughs> I was you know hesitant to admit my ignorance here, but like I've it's, played around with it. I'm like I'm not entirely sure what all the fuck is happening. Here, it's for this and the space editor. Like I don't know how to like I want my space background to be black, and I don't know how to make it black. I think it's impossible. Uh, it might be, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a common request they get, and, and maybe that's that's something um, that's like the downside of of having so much fun, right? That you're trying to like innovate on like a color wheel, and you kind of make it more accessible, and it's kind of fun to like drag this this color. But it's I can't really get it's like fun for discovery, but not if you want to like deterministically find that 
particular color combination. Because yeah, I don't really know how those two dots relate. Uh-huh. And I right now I have it like one on pink and the other one on green. And my site is not pink and green. There's like it's not acting that way. Uh, here's what it is. Okay, the big circle is the overall tint, and the small circle is the text. Well, um, it's it's also like kind of the range that things. So I'm on Calendar where on Google Calendar where I have a bunch of different colors going for different calendar types, and it's like expanding or contracting the range of colors that those can be. So the closer the second dot is to the large dot the more akin the other colors on the page will be like, and the further away it gets, the more of the rainbow is apparent in those colors. But it, I, I still, I'm not entirely sure actually what's happening here. I don't, yeah. You know, it's like the closer but, the dot is, the more uniform the coloring will be, I guess. To me, that's like super clever, right? It's like a brand new way, yeah. brand new way to interact with color and simpler than any other color wheel, which is great. But like, is that really a way to customize the internet? Like, am I actually customizing it or am I just kind of like tinting it with a color? I feel like, and I'm going to date myself here or like sound like an old man yelling at clouds, but I feel like this is going towards the whole like neo-brutalism thing where it's like ugly on purpose. Um, And I hate that. So like my usage of this is very restrained. But to your point, Gabe, like this is not a power tool. This is like paint that you're throwing at the wall and you kind of just like or like you're turning a dial until you find a combination that you like, you know, again, is like back towards like the vibe aesthetic thing. Right. I don't know. It's very messy, but messy on purpose, which I don't like. I'm like, put everything in orders and give me nice little drop shadows, you know, white and black and everything else is unnecessary, but I'm fucking lame and old. So like, I don't know. That's the thing is I can't tell where the boundary of me being lame, old and nostalgic or or like here, here's an example. So the last time I experienced something kind of like this was customizing a Neopets profile or a MySpace theme. I think those are really easy comparisons to draw. There's two really critical differences. And this is where I'm just like, well, the way I learned was better, but when you changed a Neopets profile, like they forced you to engage with code. And when you changed a MySpace theme, they forced you to engage with code. And what it spit out on the other side was something that everybody could see. And I get why boosts don't work that way. Obviously, you're not going to go and change YouTube's homepage for the world, but they made it so you can share these boosts. But there was just something more deeply expressive about changing a profile that is that appearance for everyone, not that appearance for people who have opted into your particular preference. And yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that that's a problem that Arc should necessarily solve or Boost should try and solve. But as an easy point of comparison, it made me feel like Boost didn't offer the depth that would create interesting side effects. So for example, a side effect of creating a Neopets profile or a MySpace theme was you learn to code, right? Like that was an interesting side effect. And I feel like here, basically... Not having gone through the Boost store, what I see is, man, it would be funny if Linear's homepage was Papyrus. Man, it would be funny if Diagram's homepage was Comic Sans. Like, it's very meme troll- right? Yeah, like, trolling, I'm going yeah. to troll and tweet a screenshot because it's funny and, like, it gets likes and it's funny for a moment, right? Yeah, I, your point on Neopets and MySpace touches on um, what I think is my biggest criticism of Arc and the browser company, which is that it seems to me that their vision of the future is nostalgic. Like I get a a taste of like make America great again, like make the internet great again with it. That really rubs me the wrong way. Like MySpace and Neopets suck. Like (laughs) let's not, (laughs) let's not go back to that. Like that shit sucks. Like sure. Like you learn how to code when you were 14 on it, but like, let's not go back to that. Let's move on to the next version of the internet which, you know, should be better than where we are now and hopefully even better than Neopets. But there's so much of this stuff and and just like generally the vibe of ARC that is like, remember what the internet used to be like? We can go back there. You know, we, we can be as free and expressive as it used to be. And like, that just to me feels like so re- retrograde, like literally retrograde. I think it's just a bunch of people our age reaching the point where we have the resources or time or experience to start a company. And like, that is an option on the table, which is like, man, wasn't it nice back when I could do that thing? Well, now I have like literally the the power and control to go and try and manifest the return to that thing. 
I don't know, maybe that's too cynical, but perhaps like that's a reason I think we're in this moment is like there's just this arc of people of a certain age arc. (laughs) (laughs) This timeline of people hitting this certain age where what's old wants to be new again, right? Is this, you think it's an age thing? I'm wondering if it's more of like, um, I don't know, I feel like there's a big push for the ability to make it mine kind of a thing. Like, I mean, uh, Material You, that whole entire push was like the ability to customize. And that's kind of what I feel this is. Like, let me make this stuff mine. And barring every site out there that I use, giving me that first party customization option where I can like change stuff and reorder tabs the way like Twitter Blue allowed me to do. That's why I paid for Twitter Blue for the longest time. Is like, I wanted to re- like get rid of those default tabs. Let me put in the ones I want and I actually use, right? So like that is an itch that will still exist and need to be scratched. If not this way, then some other way. But like, MySpace was a lot of fun. Like, I think people really enjoyed customizing it. And like, to Brian's point, I think it's good that we learned some stuff. That was probably a lot of people's first introduction to HTML and CSS and like styling the web. And I I think people really enjoyed it. Like, how do we scratch that itch if not this way? Yeah, and it seems like joy is like their metric, right? Like they're really chasing joy, which is, you know, laudable, right? Like that's an admirable thing to aspire to. But I think I take issue with, you know, we had MySpace and Neopets and I learned to go through MySpace too. Like I had a band, I would work with other bands and I did the whole thing. Before that, like Blockspot, like I was part of that. And then I think there's an under, uh, maybe an understanding that what happened after that, like Facebook and Twitter, these like platforms that, that can own the look and feel, that that was a distraction and we need to go back to what things used to be. And I see it more as an evolution. You know, we had MySpace, we evolved to Facebook, and now we need to evolve to something else. But it's an evolution that, you know, takes us further from MySpace, not back to MySpace, in my mind. What what does the next evolution look like in your mind? Not expecting you to have an answer here, but like what what would have made this more interesting for you? So I, I think we're seeing that with video games already. The most popular games are community-oriented experiences. Fortnite, Overwatch, and all these like shooter games, there's kind of a set of variables that they give to a community, and then the community reacts to them, and the creators kind of react from their reaction, and it becomes a conversation between the creators and the community of players. And, you know, we see Fortnite, which might already be a dated example, but, you know, they're very malleable, and the game has evolved from what it used to be to something that's, you know, even more... Um, like expansive than that. And it's, to my mind, is like the, the most clear instantiation of the metaverse. Like that's where you go to hang out and really like have experiences that embody uh, yourself in other avatars. So to me, you, you translate that to like the product world and create kind of variables for people to interact with, but to actually influence their experience and other people's experiences rather than just decorate the look and feel. Yeah, it's interesting because... There's a lot of layers to tease apart here, right? Like on the one one layer to tease apart is what you're describing is sort of the creator and the end user. And here we're ta- in Arc's land. Arc is the intermediator between the creator and the end user. And Arc is saying, use us. Like, don't talk to the website owner and say why something is bad. Just hide it, right? And probably the creator, the product developer, the designer is like, no, no, no tell us like this is user research this is customer feedback like that's the conversation that drives digital products forward right and so now arc is is neither the consumer nor the creator and is interjecting themselves so i feel like that's worth teasing apart here because arc will never be able to change the functionality of a site in a meaningful way right like they can't make it so that if you like a tweet it likes it twice right they they just don't have that control they can make it so that if you like something instead of a heart, it's a poop emoji. Like that is a thing they could change. Like where does Arc fit? It's always going to be maybe frustratingly devoid of being able to actually change the products and websites that people perhaps really want to change, and the, which is different than the gaming examples, right? Like in Fortnite, the users demand things and Epic goes and creates those things. But you also have like mods, right? Which is kind of like the analog to this. Um, That's a good point, yeah. 
it's hard because none of us work there and we just get to see the, the tip of the iceberg. We're, right? just, we're just podcasting boys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sure they have like really well articulated and, and thoughtful plans on how to yeah, yeah, arrive at, at a long-term vision. But what we get to see is just the tip of the iceberg and it's not quite there, at least uh, from my POV. Um, but, you know, putting technical requirements aside, should the internet be a place where the way you interface with the internet is the way that you can modify and control it, like truly control the interaction yeah. and control the experience? That to me sounds like a really interesting, you know, thought-provoking idea, but it's not what ARC is now. Yeah, yeah. This is like the the AI dynamic UI conversation that's happening right now, which is why shouldn't I as an end user be able to describe my dream to-do app and out on the other side comes Brian's to-do app that I can install and run, perhaps share, but it's mine, right? And then I just tell my program, uh, actually, instead of working this way, you should go and work this way. And it sort of becomes this individual creation driven by whatever advances we have in AI that can now code things for us. Is that what you're describing? Well, but my guess is that it would be not so much personalized, but co-created, meaning that like we are social creatures and we want to share our creations with an audience as opposed to modify the world so that we have a, a special version that's unique to us. I think TikTok is really good at this, right? Like everything is co-created there. Everything can be remixed and everything can be reacted to as opposed to like something like YouTube or Facebook where you have a very unique version of that feed and you can't really control it or interact with it. You can't really control the algorithm at TikTok either, but it's more of a, a two-way conversation between the users and the creators. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the community aspect is really important so that you can have a version of yourself input that into the system so that it can output something for the community to consume. And that expression is what leads to that co-creation. Yeah, I just don't understand. Like, doesn't that lock you into just a subset of things where that interaction is possible, right? Like, do you really want co-creation with your bank? You want co-creation with the homepage of the New York Times? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's certain instances where pushing the the trust and like knowing what's best for me layer onto some other party, maybe not the news example, but like a banking example is probably more clear here. seems like there's plenty of examples where you wouldn't want that, which I don't think is a negates your point, but is making it more complicated, right? Like, because then at what, at who decides and how and what layer is this? User layer, browser layer, app layer? A co-creation version of the newspaper is Facebook, right? A co-creation version of the bank is Venmo and public, the, the, the social stock app, right? Like there there are movements that are trying to get there. You could argue that crypto is like a very open co-creation version of finance. And that to me feels like the direction things are headed and it, it could like, quote unquote, disrupt every industry. Maybe I'm just talking about. Well, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about all those. I'm like, all of those are like worse versions of the original thing that you said. <laughs> like, <laughs> Facebook's a terrible newspaper. You know, like, I mean, it depends on the metric, right? Yeah, Facebook, I guess Facebook is on... Facebook is way better at disseminating information than the newspaper is. True, but yeah, it's it's the likelihood of that information being true, depending on like what you're looking for and who you're getting it from, and like loss of control comes at a cost, right? Like when we all contribute, there's a cost to that and which is kind of why i i don't like the shareability of boosts i think that's the one thing i kind of don't like about boosts it's like yeah let me do my own thing over here like what, what wait what what are you saying you can do that you don't have to share anything no but i'm saying like they probably shouldn't be shareable because that encourages this like widespread problem that we're uh, kind of talking about but maybe here's the solution for that is like I mean, I don't know, what, what's the percentage of people who use the Arc browser? Probably like really, really, really small. So this isn't an issue yet and it probably won't be for a while. But like reporting that of like, that would be an interesting metric to know. Like, yeah, let, let me zap all the shit I want to. Let me change my colors or whatever and report that to the site that I'm making those changes on. Like, hey, okay, I'm I'm no longer going to give you metrics on this feature because I've zapped it. But I'm going to give you the metric of, hey, guess what? I zapped that feature. That's all the that's all the signal that you should need from me from now on, right? Unless you make some changes. The problem here is that I guess like 
now it's gone and any changes that get made, like, you know, I, I don't get a chance to see. Anyways, I, I'm wondering if maybe that's kind of the salve here is like... I, I love that idea, by the way. I 100% love that idea. Like, I think that would be a really good thing for ARC to do to, I don't know, maybe even to your point, Gabe, like become a part of the creation process with literally every person who makes websites is like, hey, by the way, you have your own research team or probably not even your own research team, but like presumably you talk to your customers like, hey, if they happen to use Arc, we're also going to share along some of this like feedback that they would have never given you explicitly. They would never tell you this, but we can help you build a better product when your users use Arc. I think it's like maybe a, a two steps backwards, one step forward kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, that the shit is still zapped. Like, damn it! Like I can't unzap it for my users. But at least knowing that it was zapped could help me make better decisions as a builder. Well, it also gives Arc the ability to like offer Olive Branch of like, hey, guess what? Um, we will let you bump a zapped feature to users like once a year or some like really limited thing of like, we'll give you one chance. It's kind of like the Apple thing of like, we'll give you one shot to ask for microphone access, right? Like use it wisely because if you fuck it up, it's gone, right? So like maybe there's some opportunity like that of like, no, okay, it's not zapped forever. Like we're going to let people zap and like, yeah, that sucks for you product team, haha, but um, we're going to give you an opportunity every once in a while. You will be able to reach out to these users. And if your reaching out is valuable enough to them to bring them back, they're one unzap button click away from like getting that feature back. Right. So I don't know. I, I think there is still like a push and pull thing here of like, let me have the thing I want, but also don't fuck over the people building the thing that I like, you know, 20% of. Do you know. guys, uh, does it offend you to know that people are boosting your stuff? Or is I'm that, boosting my is own that shit, man. Like, yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're not kind of. I mean, like if you had built a feature that you're really proud of or the business demanded and you know that everyone's boosting it, do you take that personally? Does it matter? Do you care? It's a, I mean, it's a similar signal as looking at a metrics board and seeing that X percentage of people are not using your feature. Yeah. Yeah, what's the difference? It's like... um I would actually prefer them to zap it because then I would have a definitive signal. It's like, well, maybe they're just not seeing it. And like, should we think about the order of these actions? <laughs> yeah. or like, is it translated wrong or whatever? And now like the signal is clear. Like, all right, they didn't want it. Yeah. Um, now what? I think that's really, really interesting. Like this idea of reporting, right? Like as a website owner, almost like on Google, you get these like page speed insights and you get, there's like a search engine insights that you get that they tell you what people searched for to find you and all this kind of stuff. It'd be cool if I could know like, okay, I, I can verify that I own campsite.design and all of its subdomains. And when I visit it, Arc will tell me how many people have boosted which things. And like, mm -hmm. I can go into this admin like creator mode. Yeah, yeah heat map. Yeah, heat like, map. Oh, that'd be so cool. Help me, help me build better products because they use Arc. That right. to me is like exactly. a pretty golden insight, which I don't know. I got to assume the folks at Arc have thought about this, but if not, hey. <laughs> I mean, they, they talk about Arc as like the internet computer which are two like nice words, but I don't actually know what that means. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not sure either, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, they're provocative, right? <laughs> Mac OS. You can change the tint color of Mac OS, right? You can have some control over how the apps show up. So this could just be a similar play where you can have some control over how the websites show up, just like you can on the on the OS. That to me is like the first layer, just yeah. customize it to that degree. You shouldn't have to expect every app to implement like a key color thing. It should just be like out of the box and it's controlled at the OS level, right? I say, no, I don't like blue. I know that's the default, but I want orange, right? And now every app that I use, if they're built normally, right, without doing anything extra, they will do orange instead of... Welcome orange. to the World Wide, Wide Web where nothing is built normally. It's built normally. normally. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, I, I, I should have stopped half way through I, I realized i was digging myself a hole the further i yeah. went into that sentence but yeah yeah i mean I, these like reporting uh features are interesting but it's not what they shipped you know like oh yeah, yeah no no it's not what they shipped yeah. we're like we're building on that premise but you know what they shipped is like you can just tint it in a very limited way you can tint it and half of the typography options are as someone who doesn't appreciate that aesthetic like 
very bad. Like I haven't seen people create boosts where I'm like, wow, that looks better than what the original creator had designed. Unless perhaps you're you're like literally reaching for the worst examples and can't even think of any like truly bad websites where you make it readable or something. It seems like most of the options they give you go the other direction, taking something that was originally readable and makes it unreadable. So to me, the question is like, where should they have started? You know, they started here. Is that the right place to start or is there a different path they could have taken? Well, it makes me, yeah, like there's an opportunity here, right? To the, to the font point of them, like with the launch of this saying, hey, we handpicked and commissioned 20 specific fonts that we think have these different unique things or whatever. Like we we handcrafted these. We think you're going to love it instead of like, yeah, fucking wingdings, right? Yeah, exactly. uh, and chalk duster or whatever the thing is called, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. It feels like a joke. It feels irreverent to your point. And maybe that's that's the whole point, right? But like they could have gone in a like the web sucks and we're going to try and make it better. And here are some handcrafted things that we're giving you these tools to make it better. Really easy. Two clicks away, whatever. But I, I imagine those are that's I share that feeling, but it seems antiquated. Right. That's like understanding that there's like a right way of doing things. There's good fonts and bad fonts uh-huh, and the uh-huh. good ones. This is know, old, take- la- lame old man talk. That I'm yeah. telling you, this is I'm st- I can't not think this way. I, I think the same way. I'm like. Take clearly that they're a very talented team with good taste, like impart onto the world what good taste looks like. But obviously that's just too subjective and doesn't work. So then you give people sliders and drop downs. Well, that's always been it's a trust thing, right? It's like you trust Apple, I think, is probably the biggest thing of like we're taking control away from you. Sorry, you don't get a fucking setting, but you trust us to make the right default setting for you. And Like, it's going to be good. We'll give you some control or whatever. But like, for the most part, you trust us and and they've done a really good job. Well, and they maybe you could argue it's been dropping off in in recent years. But like, for a long time, they maintained that trust of like, it just works. You can trust us. It'll be good. We didn't do any, we didn't do any user research on this. Didn't ask anybody. We just questioned ourselves and trusted our instinct. So like, I mean, you can, you could leverage that. I don't know why you just said that, though. I disagree. I think Apple is going the exact opposite direction. And it started with the Apple Watch, right? Like the Apple Watch. Oh, no, no. Basis. Historically, I guess. Historically. I'm talking historically. About, like, the, the Jobs era. Jobs era Apple. Okay, okay. It seems like it's getting better in the last couple of years. But even, even to your point, like the customizing the lock screen on your phone, they don't let you pick if the time is going to be in front or behind some photographic element. They figure it out and like figure out how to mask in a tasteful way so that what you get is good by default. And there's like six font options for your time. And there's one row of widgets. And like every time you bump into a constraint, it can be a little frustrating, but you you fall into the the well of success, which is you can't really fuck it up. Like no matter how hard you try, it's gonna look okay as a lock screen, right? And there are there are trade-offs to use your example. Like there are clear trade-offs. If I want widgets on my lock screen, I don't get a masked time. I can't have both of those at the same time. Either I get it with the masked time and it looks really nice because there's nothing in front. There aren't like two layers happening here, like which is a choice they've made. Or I want widgets. Well, guess what? No, no masked time because that would look bad. We've decided for you that that would look bad. So we won't let you do it, right? Which is lame yeah. old man thinking. But like, I mean, I kind of, you know, if it's good, it guarantees good. I'm not even like, um, I'm not mad that it looks bad. Like, you sound pissed, Gabe. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're <laughs> I'm offended for you. <laughs> no, like it's, it's fine that it looks bad. It's just not powerful. Like you can't do anything other than make it look bad. Like I've been playing a lot of Zelda, uh, the the latest one, Tears, Tears of the Kingdom, Kingdom yeah. and that's the whole point of that game is you can make things, right? Combining all these objects to make things, and you can make bad things. You can make things that look bad, that don't function. You can make you know terrible things, but you can also make really powerful things and really fun things. And I think that's what this feature is missing. Like you can't really make something powerful. You can only take things away, but I can't really like expand upon what I encounter. That's a really good example to set because even in the first like Breath of the Wild, like it's all systems based, right? And like these emergent systems, you can combine them in a way that like probably the creators didn't expect, but because the systems work, they play off of each other, which means that you can create bad combinations that don't function. They're actually like, 
it's a fucking evolution. There are like bad mutations and there are good mutations. The bad mutations die off and the good mutations live on, right? That's that. I think that's what creation is, right? If you want to encourage creation and creativity, you have to leave room for failure. And I think that's where Apple falls short. Like you can't really fail. Everything's beautiful. But like there's a difference between like designing something and decorating something. And this feels like, just decoration where you don't actually get to like affect how it works, which is in theory what design is. Yeah, I buy that. I don't know. In the back of my head, like through all this conversation, I try and imagine like the technical parts of this and I'm not smart enough to know. I think, I mean, even the way they built this is probably technically mind boggling. I think they like redid (laughs) the way that browsers render web pages, like engine level shit to get all the tinting. Um, It's not just applying some CSS. Uh, I just, it's really hard for me to imagine a world, and this is my close-minded short-term thinking, where they actually give people the ability to build meaningful functionality. It's possible, like browser extensions are a thing that can do powerful stuff, but in order to build that, you gotta really hook in deep, like you kind of gotta know how to program some things. So then the question is like, if that goes away, then what? So I, I can see this. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Like we're in decoration mode. Does it evolve into something more meaningful? My my guess is that, you know, the the premise was, hey, we want to make the internet participatory. We want to give people the power to affect it and really uh, modify the internet. And the team is like, you know, all brilliant engineers and designers at the browser company, they're like, got it. That's a three-year, five-year, 10-year roadmap. Where do we start? The next three months, let's change the colors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's the thing to me that's the most exciting part of Arc is that I think when they say the internet computer, I, I don't really understand, but there's a few parts that are starting to shine through in the way that a tab has knowledge of what it is, which is really profound and interesting. So, for example, if you have a, a tab that is Notion and you hover over that tab, it'll show you in a little popover the most recent Notion articles that you've written, or or if you have a, a repository on GitHub as a tab, it will tell you when there's new pull requests opened in that repository on the tab label itself. You don't even have to click in to know that there's new stuff. That's interesting, right? The tab knows what it is and its relationship with the content that will eventually appear when you click on it. That's really cool. And then they've multiplied that by spaces where you can have different things in different spaces where you're signed into different accounts. Like that's the profound part of this. I want them to keep going deeper there, right? Let me hover over this tab and I get like my mini GitHub and that mini GitHub knows about my local branches on my computer. And from those local branches, I can create a pull request. Like, I don't know, there's just interesting things that they could go way deeper on there that has nothing to do with changing the way the website looks or works, but actually just exposes the right functionality to the user at the right time without having to peck between tabs. Um, so their brilliance, I think, is is in taking those like first steps that other browsers have taken and like really going all the way through with the UI. I think that the UI is their secret sauce here. They can do some really clever UI work with uh, Arc. And to me, Boost is really just a UI feature. Like they've taken, you know, things that you can do with code and they created a UI for you to interact with it. And that, that to me is like their, their secret sauce. Yeah. Okay. Well, no answers here. Do you guys want to, anything else you want to say before we do cool things and wrap? Uh, this was supposed to be a mini episode. Um. <laughs> full app, full app, baby. We can't help full, ourselves. Full on episode. This all is right, how it yeah. happens every time Marsh and I, we get on. We're like, all right. 20 minutes this tonight, week for yeah, sure yeah. keep it short like, i got keep shit to do haven't eaten dinner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gotta take out the trash walk the dog 20 minutes yeah. and then like two hours later we end recording so. <laughs> par for the course gabe you got any any final words here on on boosts on arc i don't know that if what you wanted to get out of this if you wanted us to like solve this i think it was just an interesting conversation yeah i mean i was just sandwich by saying they're a great team and yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's truly, really inspiring and, and impressive, everything they do. And I imagine part of the goal behind this feature was to get to people to talk about it. And, and that's here exactly we what are. Doing. <laughs> Success. So I think that's a testament to like how thoughtful they are and, and the great work they're doing. Cool. Cool. It's my browser, um, my personal browser of choice. On my Same. Personal computer. I've even using it on uh, my phone. Wow. Yeah. That's another episode. That, that 
that's a bit of a mess for me. I still use Safari <laughs> about as often as I use Arc, but I, I get at my shared tabs that way. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's move on to uh, cool things and we can get out of here. All right. I'm going to go first. My cool thing this week is a movie that I watched last night with Marshall uh, <laughs> at our recurring movie night, uh, a Schwarzenegger film called True Lies. And the reason it's my cool thing, one is I'd never seen it before. Two, it's a good movie. But three, what happened was we got to the end of the movie and Marshall and I were kind of just sitting there. We're like, they just don't make shit like this anymore. And I don't know if we call this the nostalgia episode, Marshall. Holy moly. But like there was something about that movie that like hit all these beats of it's playful. It's funny. It doesn't take itself too seriously, except for this part. Take this part seriously. And like they guide you through that emotional journey really, really well. The use of practical effects, the mix in of like some of the CG, early CG. I don't know. Like we were cracking up the whole time and then it would transition to like a serious part. And you're like, oh shit, this is like, like there's actual characters and and things happening to them. There's like risk stakes. Yeah. I don't know, man. Don't want to be uh, too nostalgic here, but I thought it was a, a great movie and it just made me be like, man, I could just watch this era for a while. And like by contrast, you and I were talking about like all the Marvel movies. It's like, it's just the opposite thing. They're just opposite creations. Isn't it I, James I, Cameron, right? True Lies? Yeah, directed James by James Cameron. Yeah. I mean, that he's like, Avatar is like, no, the movie made too. Like he's like, has mm-hmm. a one tone that he hits with most movies. And it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's always like the best movie of his time. Yeah. That's what I was telling Brian. I was like, yeah, he, he hasn't made a whole lot of movies. And this is one of them. And like, you can tell, like it's, it's a good movie. And, and well, and the reason we watched that is because the week before we watched Last Action Hero, which is another great 90s Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which does not take itself seriously at all. So yeah, I was like, oh, if you like that, you should watch True Lies. And so yeah, maybe maybe we'll just go through like a 90s era of watching. Maybe I'm just like, an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Like, I yeah. don't think we've watched a movie with him that I didn't enjoy. Have like, you seen Kindergarten Cop? I don't Who think is I your have. daddy? And what does yeah, he do? Yeah, what does he do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a tumor. Um, <laughs> yeah, come on, have you great. seen that movie? I don't think so. It's oh a great God. movie. Okay. <laughs> you have to watch that too. Okay. Yeah. Next week. Next week. Who All is right. uh who do you think is uh today's Schwarzenegger? Oh. Vin Diesel? Um no. It's probably The Rock. It's The, the Rock, Rock yeah. I think. Yeah. Because Schwarzenegger had range. The Rock plays the same character every time. Eh. Schwarzenegger <laughs> like kind of plays the same. I mean, He literally played a kindergarten cop. (laughs) I mean, he plays a lot of different things, but that doesn't stop him from being a (laughs) 300-pound Austrian mound of muscle walking into any situation. It's like, that was the crazy thing about Total Recall. They had to change his character. He's supposed to be like an accountant or something. Some mousy actor was was originally slated for that before Schwarzenegger was an option. And they rewrote the character to be a construction worker who's on a jackhammer all day to explain why this mound of muscle <laughs> is like not actually a secret spy undercover. You know? uh-huh. Kind of like messes up the movie that he was involved. Well, but, that was yeah. the funny part about True Lies is he plays a computer salesman. Yeah, yeah. And his wife the whole time is like, wait, but Harry, my <laughs> Harry, he would go do something like I can't imagine. Like, lady, he can only <laughs> curl three hundred pounds with one arm, and he, <laughs> he can do a, what? He's a foot taller than you. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's my cool thing. Good, cool thing, Brian. I fully approve. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, okay, so my cool thing this week is a book, and Brian, I think you know about this. We've talked about it. I don't think it's been my cool thing. Yeah, but I haven't before. read it. You told me to get it, and I bought it, and I haven't read it. It's somewhere around here. Gabe, I feel like you would know about this already, or at least appreciate it. Um, have you heard of House of Leaves? Uh, no. You've never heard? Oh, okay. No. All right, House of Leaves. Set us up. Set us up, Marshall. All right, yeah, let me give you the... I'll try not to spend too much time on this. We're like really long here and I could talk about... This could be a whole episode, this book. But um, very meta. It came out like in the early 2000s. It's, it's an experimental novel, fiction, but it's like layer upon layer of story. So 
At the core of the book is the story of a young family, the Navidsons, who the husband is like a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer, and they move to this country house, and he decides to record their moving process and sets up a bunch of cameras with motion sensors around the house. And as they're moving in and he's like making, they're, they're like adjusting the house to their needs, he does some measurements and realizes that the house is a quarter of an inch larger on the inside than it should be based on the measurements of it on the outside. And that doesn't make any sense. And he kind of gets obsessed with this. And so he calls in some experts and the experts get their lasers out and like, we'll, we'll settle this. And sure enough, it's bigger on the inside than it should be on the outside. What, what the fuck is going on here? And then one day a door appears in the living room. And when they open the door, it's a black hallway that goes off into who knows what. And I'll leave it there. So like, that's kind of the story at the core. It's like that story was like the the footage from that real event, the, the footage that Will Navidson recorded was made into a movie called The Navidson Record. And there's this old man named Zampano who is writing a dissertation on this film. Um, he's an old blind man and dies. And these other guys who live in the same apartment, one of the guys lives in the same apartment building as him, comes into his apartment after he dies and finds this trunk with all these papers, of this dissertation, and he calls his friend over to help him with it. The friend named Johnny gets these papers and kind of becomes obsessed with it and decides to like follow through on the old man's wishes of writing this dissertation about this movie. But the more he looks into it, the more he questions whether this film ever actually even existed. And like, by the way, the guy's blind. How is he talking about color and motion and composition and lighting and all and shadow and all this stuff? Is this even real? Meanwhile, like the old man's apartment was like all duct taped shut, basically hermetically sealed from the outside world. And Johnny is starting to like see things that aren't there. And, you know, it's this horror novel. But the way it's constructed is there's the story. And then there are footnotes, the old man's footnotes on the story as he's writing it. And then there are Johnny's footnotes on the story and Johnny's footnotes on the footnotes. And then there's the editors of the book after Johnny who are making footnotes on Johnny's footnotes on the Zampano's footnotes on the original dissertation, right? So it's like all of these levels. And then it's this mind blowing descent into madness where you're like, it's, it's the closest thing to a found footage movie I've ever seen in a book, right? It feels like the Blair Witch Project in book form. All right. So that's the premise <laughs> okay. on top of all Jesus. that. Let me show you. Oh, I'll be right back. Here's the book house of leaves. You're going to have to describe some things to, to our listeners who are not seeing the thing that you're showing us on camera. Um, it's well, you can look at it. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes, but the, the book has a black cover, but it's too small for the pages inside. Like the book isn't <laughs> big enough for the pages it holds. That's amazing. Just like the house. Um, eventually, they venture into the hallway and see what's what's in there. They're, they're the expeditions. And, and the printing on the page reflects how you should read the book. So normally, it's just regular text or whatever. But eventually, you get to stuff where it's like one uh, word per page where it's like, you're blowing through hundreds of pages and then there'll be a, a paragraph at the bottom that'll force you to slow down. So it's like you're being manipulated to read at the pace that the book forces you to read. And like there's points where stuff is sideways and diagonal and upside down and like crossed out. I have the full color edition, which every time the word house is mentioned in the book, it's in blue and every uh, struck out portion is in red. So like, it's just this artifact of like, it's such a cool thing. So my plan is to go through this thing. I read it 20 years ago when I worked in a bookstore in college and my plan is to read it again and like actually take notes and do like, it begs to be treated like a work of nonfiction, right? It wants to be highlighted and post-it noted and dog-eared and everything. It's really cool. Anyways, House of Leaves. <laughs> Amazing. If that isn't a sales pitch for this book, I, I can't uh -huh. imagine a better one. Well done. What's your cool thing, man? All right, Gabe, don't disappoint me. Guys, I've been waiting so long to share my cool thing with you guys. You've been waiting for this for at least four years. Wow. I discovered this cool thing in 2018. Yeah, yeah. And immediately wow. texted Brian, you got to include this in the, the podcast. And, and I he refused. Like, He's like, no way, I'm never doing this. Yeah. 
And for the uh, last five years, I've been trying to come up with interesting opinions so I can go into the podcast and uh-huh. share this cool thing. Uh-huh. Finally. <laughs> okay. It's I, happening. I, I all of, your, all of your hopes and dreams are coming true, Gabe. Um, in fact, I once subscribed to the Patreon with a fake name just so that Brian could say these words. Uh-huh. That I oh, to say. I remember this. <laughs> okay. Yep. Okay. So uh, my cool thing is a dating show, specifically a British dating show called Naked Attraction. Boom. You got it. And this TV show, I think it's emblematic of design details. So I'm glad we can. Uh, <laughs> okay. <get here. laughs> okay. So, Tell okay, me let, me, let me, have you watched this uh, show, Marshall? No, no. I, I, but I remember the way you wrote your name as a Patreon supporter. <laughs> it was like, you're pulling one over on Brian. But, but he was like, oh, I know who this is. That was Anyways. one of the most joyous days of my life when he said that on it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so the premise of Naked Attraction is in a dating show, it's British, and it's either a man or a woman going to like a stage, and there are like, I think, five or six c- cylinders in front of them, like human sized cylinders, each of a different color. So, like blue, red, green, whatever. And there's like different stages. Uh, at each stage, the cylinder moves from the bottom to the top to reveal inside the cylinder a naked person. So the first stage is, you know, their ankles. And based on that information, the contestant needs to eliminate one of the potential suitors. So then the next stage, it goes up to like their belly button. And based on, again, they're all naked inside of it. Based on that information, they need to remove one suitor. Then it goes up to their shoulders. Then it goes up to reveal what they look like, their face. And then the last stage is they can say something. But they can only say the same thing, which is like, I think it's like their name and where they're from or something like that. Um, So you don't really get a sense of their personality. You only hear like their accent and their voice. And based on that, you choose like the last person. So then the last person is chosen. They get off the cylinder and then like walk and like fully naked, walk towards like the contestant. And then the contestant like leaves the room and comes back naked. So then the two of them see each other naked for the first time while being televised. And like, I think it's like the BBC two or something. <laughs> uh, it's incredible, dude. And they're like, this sounds like uh, my worst nightmare. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's so good here for this. And then after that, they go on a date. Right. And almost a hundred percent of the time is a complete fiasco. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, of course it's not a good way to find your mate. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't think they've ever actually, like, gone on a second date. It's always like, yeah, no, we don't get along. (laughs) But it's the most entertaining thing. And it's, again, it's British. So, like, the host is, like, super funny. She gets real close to them and, like, look at their willy. It's so funny. No way. (laughs) Yeah, dude. dude. Are they attractive people who go on the show? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it varies. Um, but it's, it's that, you know, to its credit, it's like very inclusive, uh, body positive, yeah, very inclusive. full range. Full yeah. Well, range. that's the thing. It's like, it sounds like it's just normal people. Then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, normal yeah. People, yeah. Interesting. It's fucking great, man. It's well, one hey, of my favorite shows. So we had, we had a watching party at Gabe's apartment one time in New York. I think there was, was it just four of us or six of us? I don't know. We had, we had a watching party and we watched a few episodes. So yeah, that was, you were in the cylinder. That was fun. Kidding. Yeah. Yeah. We were all in cylinders. I just got to know, Gabe, like, why do you like this show so much? Why did this of all television shows get lodged in your brain as a thing that is so interesting? Um, I am I mostly get a kick that you're so opposed to me mentioning the show <laughs> okay. on the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm really excited about. Um, but I also find it to be like you know, anthropologically interesting just to yeah. see how people like interact with each other and how you can remove all these taboos and do something that just feels wrong. Um, but you know, have a good time doing that. And uh, yeah, it's entertaining. Cool. Um, one last thing is that the only way I found to stream the show is through a little website called Pornhub.com. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We did have to go. I was going to ask. We had to go on Pornhub to watch or not? It. Like, is it no, blurred? dude. On blurred. No, it's you like see full everything. frontal. Everything. Yeah. No. See, I don't know if I want to <laughs> watch this. Right. Like. Well, what's interesting? I I had the same reaction. Like, I really didn't want to watch this, and Gabe somehow convinced us all to go over. We had like fucking popcorn, and we were watching the show, and like pretty immediately, this is it's no the novelty wears off very quickly, is what I'm trying to say. And then you start to engage with 
I guess like the anthropological stuff that Gabe is talking about and the comedy of errors that is the first date. And then the like, what is it like the one month follow-up conversation? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think you should, yeah. I, I would really, really like for you to watch at least one episode and come back with a review. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I don't want to. <laughs> Well, a cool thing. Gabe, I'm glad (laughs) you shot your shot. Um, Yeah. We'll see you again in five years. And uh, (laughs) I hope you'll have something just as interesting. No, this is great. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is a a dream come true. Oh, come on. This was fun. For us too, man. Good to have you on the show. Good to talk. I haven't seen you in a long time. So it's good to see you and chat. Uh, Always good to hear your opinion. Even even if I don't always agree with it, like it's always super well considered. And like, I think you're one of my smarter friends. So always good to have Uh, you on the show. I was was just thinking this podcast, this room is with two of the people whom I enjoy talking with design about the most. Mm Mm-hmm. With who? Ooh. I don't know the grammar here. Mm-hmm. I like talking about design and y'all. So likewise, well, this is fun. Yeah, you, you have this weird thing where, like, you know, as a podcast, you have two people's voices in your ears, in a very intimate way. So I feel like we have been talking about design yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Even though or socially, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So thank you for that and for your opinions. Uh, where can people find you on the internet if they want to hear more of your thoughts or hear more of your television recommendations? Okay. <laughs> Um, Pornhub Rex. Yeah. <laughs> Pornhub.com slash Gabriel Valdivia. <laughs> Maybe I'll plug my Substack. Um, oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah. Substack.com slash unkempt is where I write about stuff. Link in the Link show, in the notes. show yeah. notes. Yeah. You haven't written in a little while. Maybe I will now. Okay. It's time. Sweet. All right, gang. Cool. This was fun. Till next time. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's the premise. <laughs> okay. On top of all Jesus. that, let me show you. Oh, I'll be right back. <laughs> it's a fast episode. It's real quick. <laughs> yeah, real quick. Are you good? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. You got a few more minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this happens every time. We just get going. And yeah, it's so fun, dude. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, okay I'm back. Um, here's the book.